What an honor it is to be here. Be an honor to be here with at ARC. And we love ARC and we're part of ARC and we believe in it. And uh, just believe in pastors. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have a ministry uh, called Passionate Pastors. And part of that is prior to me pastoring our church, I was a uh, church consultant and uh, had my own company for seven and a half years. And, kind of went into pastoring more by default than design, but God has a sense of humor, and so it's all good. So anyway, we're excited about today's topic, and I want to talk to you today really about communication and and and, and how do you keep your people engaged in, when it comes to really uh, sharing God's, God's word. And I want to, before I get started, I kind of want to give you a kind of a cliff note um, about my life, I was, I'm a fourth generation pastor, so I was raised in church all my life, and uh, you know, like a lot of church kids got in trouble, landed up getting uh, uh, involved in drugs and alcohol, and from the time I was 12 years old, I was uh, kicked out of a school, and then lived on the streets uh, until 16 years old, I was locked up in prison, probably the best thing I had in my life, and right after that, uh, came out, and uh, on Monday, went to a church camp on, on Friday and gave my heart to Jesus. And uh, next week I go back to a continuation school, make up my credits, get to go to a school, play basketball, I get a basketball scholarship, and I land up going uh, to ministry school. And I uh, went to Southern California College, now Vanguard University, kind of just you know my age now. And uh, and then my first year there, I get invited to join a ministry, a very large ministry, traveled all over the world. And then through that, um, started my consulting company and worked with churches of all different styles and types. And through that, I really learned a lot of things. And in that, what I decided very early on was that I'm gonna be a lifelong learner. In order for you to be a great leader, you gotta be a great learner. And part of that is, is that you gotta be willing to change. I came from a very spirit-filled, word of faith kind of a church, thankful for that foundation. There was never creativity. There was never uh, great inspiration. Uh, there wasn't a lot of thought that went into the services. As I grew older and, and started to minister and went on staff at the church, I, I quickly learned that um, when my pastor uh, didn't have a message, then he just allowed worship to continue to go. <laughs> and just says, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. We're going to minister. And I quickly learned that very fast. And, um, and I learned all my life that uh, growing up that, you know, you got to get a word from God and, and you got to go to, uh, to preach. Until one of my first clients, uh, many of you would know, this church fellowship church, Ed Young. And uh, next thing you know, I'm consulting him on their television ministry. And I'm sitting in his meeting. And I said, well, what is this meeting for? He goes, it's a pastor's meeting. I'm going to uh, put our sermon together. I'm like, put your sermon together. Well, what are you talking about? I said, don't you need to go to prayer? You know, get a word from God, open up your Bible. He says, oh, no, 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 we, Obed, we, uh, we team sermonize. See, two minds are better than one. 
And so he sat down with a group of his pastors, and, and they're going over all these things. And, and, and you got to understand, my world is coming to a crash. It's being rocked because I've never in my life ever seen that. But that's what really started the revolution in my life. And really, in some sense, you get to a point as a pastor, you're not going to hit a grand slam every Sunday. You got to a point that as you start off, as I started off as an evangelist, you kind of blow in, blow up, and blow out. Whereas if now you're a pastor, one of the greatest things you have as a pastor is called next week. You don't have to put everything into that weekend because you always have next week. What I want to talk to you today is about packaging your communication. I want to talk to you today about reaching people, but also understanding that it takes a team to build a dream. It takes other people to get involved in what you're trying to communicate. Because at the end of the day, it's never your sermon, it's never your message, it is God's message. You see, four principles when you communicate like Jesus. And the first thing is, is that you should be articulate. That speaks to the mind. We have a generation today that, that I mean, we'll show a guest speaker coming to our church and, and, uh, and, and, and I can look around and as soon as that guest speaker uh, video comes on, everyone's head goes down. Because what they're doing is they're searching Google or, or they're searching that person and most people have already heard you before they even came to your church. They've checked out your website, they've checked out your preaching, and, and, and because of that, today, you can listen to all kinds of podcasts, you can listen to all kinds of messages, and, and the reality is, is that if you can't get to the person's mind, you're never going to get to their heart. And so you got to be articulate. The second thing is you got to be anointed. That speaks, literally, uh, that speaks to your spirit. And so where does anointing come from? Anointing comes from the time in which you are in the, in the prayer closet of Jesus. Literally, you're seeking the face of Jesus. And not only are you studying for the message, watch this, you are becoming the message. Yeah. Jesus said something that was so profound that we miss a lot. And in John chapter 114, he says, and the word became flesh. In other words, you got to learn how to flesh the word out of you. If you're just preaching a message, it's coming out of your mouth. If you're fleshing the message, it's your, it's your life. You're following through with it. And I've realized that a great message is not something that's studied on Saturday. A great message is a lifetime of study. And it is when you're studying all week. I get my messages done by Tuesday. So that Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, I'm marinating that meat. Because I don't even know that you could put a steak on a barbecue on Saturday that you picked up on Friday. But if you picked up that steak on Monday and marinated it that whole week and you put that steak on that barbecue, how many of you know it's going to leave a longing, lasting taste in your mouth than one you just picked up the day before? You can tell when somebody has marinated their message because everyone's sucking that teeth because they're trying to get every last bit of that word out of it. Come on, I'm talking to somebody. I can tell right away when somebody studies on Saturday to preach on Sunday. And your lack of preparation will not bring the manifestation that you're hoping for. 
And so you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta be articulate, speak to the mind, you gotta be anointed, that speaks to the spirit. And listen, you gotta be uh, 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 authoritative. You gotta, you, you gotta be authoritative because that speaks to the stronghold. Listen, when you are speaking the word of God, it is coming out like a sword. And if you're not in prayer, you're not going to know how to use the sword. And there are spirits in that place. And you have to walk with a sense of authority. The reason why Jesus had authority was because he didn't speak the word. He was the word. When you see, see, anointing is found in prayer. Authority is given through trials. Come on, how many know? Oil doesn't oil doesn't become oil unless the olives are crushed. Wine don't become a uh, grape don't become wine unless it's pressed. In other words, the reason why God allows you to go through trials is not to build your anointing, it's to build your authority. And so you gotta have an authority when you speak. And you only have an authority of what you speak when you have a revelation of what you're speaking. I'm not talking about a message. I'm talking about a revelation. I mean, you got to know it in your spirit that you know what I'm speaking is going to get you to where you are to where God wants you to be. So listen, I want to be articulate. That speaks to the mind. I want to be anointed. That speaks to the spirit. I want to be authoritative. That speaks to the stronghold. And listen, I believe this is the most important to this generation. And that is you want to be authentic. That speaks to the heart. Transparency is the currency of elevation. Rewind that one more time. Transparency is the currency of elevation. Listen, preachers, if you can't show your wounds, they'll never believe your battles. You got to be willing to show your scars sometimes. And sometimes in your message, you need to speak of your own struggles. Because people do not relate to where you are because they're not there yet. People don't relate to the capacity of your faith because... They're not there yet. But the one common factor that threads everybody in that room together is a word called pain. And when you start speaking of your own pain, all of a sudden you got the, you have captured your audience. Because now they realize that you're not just somebody out there that's been chosen by God, that God has given preferential treatment to because you don't go through anything. The reality is they realize you fought your way to get up there. You're standing up here not because of choice, but because of calling. And so what's important is you can be articulate, you can be anointed, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can be authentic, uh, authentic, but listen, I mean authoritative, but you have to be authentic. People want to see the real you. What's also important that when you communicate is how you look. People, the first thing they do is they stereotype you. You walked in this room, you were looking around, you were stereotyping. It is just part of the culture we live in today. You look at somebody, you go from head to toe. You stereotype. And how you dress will determine the people you reach. You gotta dress to a level your people can go to. You gotta look like a business person, a business person's pastor. Somebody who they're gonna be comfortable sitting there saying, that's my pastor. 
See, I have, a, I have a golden rule in my church. All my pastors, they got a little blazer. I don't care if they want long t-shirts, but you don't say you want a blazer. <laughs> so I'm very, very intentional in how I dress on my stage. So I'm wearing this today. I'm kind of overdressed for, for our conference, but I did this because I'm preaching, I'm teaching, I'm preaching. <laughs> but from the waist down, I wear skinny jeans. <laughs> I reaches the 20 and under. From the waist up, I wear a blazer. That reaches the 40 and over. I'm intentional. You talk to some of the greatest pastors that are pastoring churches today, and they'll tell you that even in their dress, they're intentional. Because it's important. How do you look? I'm in Palm Springs. Palm Springs is a very like flamboyant community. Okay? And so, we want to look like the people we're trying to attract. We want people to look at us. When I put on this sport coat, flip up my collar a little bit, have my little hang, I'm having a hang right now, hang hanging out. Listen, I want people to know this man honors his craft. This is his profession. Think about it, a doctor doesn't show up to an office looking like he just woke up. The Bible talks about that the priest was to wear garments no other person can because he differentiated himself from everybody else. I was talking to a friend recently and I mentioned his name. Every one of you would know who he is. Pastor's a great church. Not going to tell you where it is because you would know who he is. He was at my church and we were having a long discussion. And he says, man, I'm just really struggling reaching business people. Struggling reaching older families. You know, I, I feel like God ain't got the message, I got the culture. And I said, and he says, but man, I've been here a few days and I've watched your young guys. And they look cool. And then they get on your stage and they like transform. Why did, why did they do that? I said, so we don't exactly have the problem you're having right now. The truth is, is that people stereotype. And it's nothing you can stop. If you want to, you know, if you want to be a cool hip church, well, you're gonna, you're gonna, you are going to attract cool hip people. But if you want to be professional, there is a way you conduct yourself and how you look. And so you want to make sure that you are looking the way people in your audience feel comfortable inviting others. One of my mentors has his clothes. One of the largest churches in America has his clothes in order and how he wears them. He's intentional. Greg Warren, one day we were at a round table and he's talking and somebody asked this question. They said, Pastor Greg, I noticed every time you speak, you're wearing a black shirt. And he went through a 30-minute speech on just how intentional that is. And so it is important that you look the way you want to attract. When you think about preaching and communicating, we all come from different camps. So in some camps, it's like, man, I'm going to preach the paint off the walls. There's some, in some degree, we measure our preaching by how many amens and shouts we get. Right. We, 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 we engage with the crowd. 
The truth about preaching is very simple. And that is moving someone from where they are to where God wants them to be. By the end of the year, you should, your preaching should move people to where God desires their life to be. And so, when you, when you think about preaching, most people preach points. But in some sense, you should be preaching steps. And so when I'm looking at a message, I'm asking myself, if I'm hearing this message, where is it going to land? If you think about the mind of God, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says God declares everything from the end to the beginning. When you think about the way Jewish people are raised, they are raised to always see the end before it even actually happens. Matter of fact, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, doesn't start like our Bible from Genesis to Deuteronomy. It actually goes from Deuteronomy and ends at Genesis because that's the mind of God. This is why Jews populate 10% of the world, but they own 40% of it because they never get themselves into something without understanding what the end looks like. And so if this is the way God thinks, and he tells you, hey, guess what? I'm not only your alpha, but I'm your omega. You're going through a trial. All of a sudden, God says, come on, you can continue to go. You keep on going. How can God tell you to continue to go if he doesn't know, if he doesn't have no idea where you're going? When he delivered the children out of Egypt, they were in slavery, and he delivered them out of there. But just 11 more days, it would have taken them to get to a promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. God already had their end working for them before he ever delivered them out of the place called bondage. Come on, am I talking to somebody? And so if you want to message map your, your messages, you got to ask yourself, what does the end look like? When I'm putting my message together, because this is the way God thinks. God thinks about the end before it actually even begins to happen. So how do you map out your message? Five ways you, 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 uh, you map out your message. Number one is introduction. You need to familiarize your audience with some type of biblical text or topic. And so you need to familiarize, you gotta know the crowd you're speaking to. You gotta know who you're speaking to and what you're speaking to. So you gotta, you, you gotta understand that it's important that I have a strong introduction. Number two, I'm gonna map out my message by identification. In other words, I'm gonna communicate a felt need. So in my message, I should not just have an introduction, but I should, have, I should also have some identification. In other words, that could be like a story. Those are some of the greatest of bridges you can make when it comes to a message. What makes it breaks a message is not its content. What makes it breaks a message is your transitions. And you will only know your transitions if you have your message mapped out already. And so I know where I'm going even though I'm here. And so what I gotta do is I gotta transition it well. So from one point to the next point, what I'm doing is I'm creating that bridge. Yeah. A lot of times that could be a story. That could be an illustration. And so it's important that you have strong introduction. Number two, you have identification. Number three is illumination. In other words, communicate the vision with an enlightened revelation. Your, your sermon should have something in it that people understand that man, this man or woman of God has heard from the Lord. I was, I was this morning, I was just praying and studying in, in my study time this morning because I don't study for a message, I study for myself. 
I'm going to say that one more time. I don't study for a message. I study for myself. I remember sitting in Dr. O. Roberts' home a couple of weeks before he passed away. A group of pastors came and, and, and he, he blessed us and we were able to bring something to him. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, he told, he told all these young preachers that were in there, about 10 of us. He said, I study for myself, but I hear for them. I study for myself, but I hear for them. In other words, I'm already prepared when I get up there because I'm not preaching a message I put on paper. I'm preaching out of my study, out of the overflow of my life. And so, and, 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 and so in doing that, you should have some sort of revelation. And so this morning I was, I was studying since on, and I came to this passage where uh, Jesus, if you remember, uh, he's did communion, and he pulled out the water basin, and the water, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. They were pretty astonished by that. They were like, wait a minute, man, you're, you're actually like washing our feet. That's And, and, and a lot of times, if, if we don't study that text and get into its culture in which it was written, then you'll never get the revelation of what that emotion was when that came to pass. Because the Bible is a cultural book. And its content is written in its culture. And, and, and so in those days, you know, they were flip-flops and, and, and the roads were, 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 were dirty. And so it was customary that when you walked to a house, there was always a basin of water and a towel sitting next to it before you walked in. The servants of that house, not necessarily the father, but the servants of that house would meet the person at the door before they would walk in that servant would get down on his knees and wash their feet, get all the dust off of it, wash their leather sandals, and then they would walk into the house. And so part of them, part of washing their feet was that when they would come into their home, they wouldn't bring anything that was on their feet that they picked up on the journey prior to arriving to the house. So to keep those germs or whatever got on their feet, they would clean it. So when they walked into that house, it was like a new beginning. In other words, you cannot trace their journey because the evidence had been wiped away. Come on, talk to me. And 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 so and so and so so Jesus knew these guys made all kinds of mistakes. So what does he do? Takes a water basin. Takes a towel, starts washing their feet. He literally is wiping away the evidence. The three and a half year journey they've been journeying because he's giving them a fresh start. Do you know what's amazing about that context? Is that Jesus never asked for the feet. He just pulled out a water basin and a towel. Went from being a savior to a servant. And next thing you know, they just stuck their feet out. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me this morning. He said, Son, you'll never have a problem getting the people's feet to go where you want them to go. If you're always carrying a water basin in the town. You get that, you get that 
closet. And so your message should have some sort of revelation that people are saying they can identify. I wasn't with them all week, but I can tell the oil is dripping off that man's life right now. That man has stepped out the closet and got a word from Jesus. I can tell when someone speaks from their articulation, and I can tell when someone speaks from their experience. And it is important that you have introduction, identification, illumination. Number four is implementation. In other words, put the plan into steps of action. In other words, I'm not preaching point one. I'm not preaching point two. And I'm not preaching point three. I'm preaching step one. I'm preaching step two. And I'm preaching step three. Why? Because the purpose of my message is not to get an amen. The purpose of my message is to get them from where they are to where God wants them to be. And not everyone's going to take quantum leaps. Everybody here in the church needs to take a Come on, they need to take a And so you need to remind them that their next step is their best step. And so what you're saying, you're saying, listen, step number one, God wants, God wants all of you. Step, step, step number two, God, God wants more of you. Step number three, God, you, you're just taking it from one step to the next step to the next step. And you're building your sermon from the end. And so therefore, you're putting it and you're crafting it together with the thought of this is where I want them when this Sunday's over with. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. A win for us on some weekends is not how many people get saved. Well, first of all, if you really think about it, we don't even do the same. Yeah. Yeah. 175 people got saved. It's like we're supposed to put all kinds of likes. He ain't do the same. We come into a weekend with a thought. This is what this this is what the end looks like. So we got baptism next weekend. So what was the win this weekend? This prior weekend. We got to get folks excited for baptism. So we thought about the message towards the end because the end result was you need to be baptized. So we crafted that message, going back to the beginning, and gave them steps. And so we didn't get 175 people getting saved. We got over 100 signed up for baptism. And so when you have an outcome in mind, you got to realize that you know what? It makes things a lot more easier by giving them some implementation. And then lastly is inspiration. You gotta stimulate some strategy for real long lasting success and growth. Three things really quick. And three things, when you talk about some focuses I should have when it comes to my message. The first thing you gotta ask yourself is number one, what is the unified focus of our message? What is the unified focus of our message? Every one of us have been guilty of this. And every one of us who's been guilty of this can identify very quickly. You can tell when some preacher goes on a rabbit trail. So you got to ask yourself, what is the unified focus of our message? Number two, what is the underlying purpose of our message? What is the underlying purpose of our message? And then number three, what is the ultimate application of our message? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he's put eternity in the heart, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. To everything, there is a season and there is a time. I know pastors that do a timeline of a 12-month sermon series. It's phenomenal. There are some guys I know that do six months. And then there's guys that I know that just do three months. I think you need to find what's best for you. Because what's important about this is because here's what you often say when you speak. And the Lord is speaking to us. You say that. I believe that God's taking our church over here. And so it's not that you are not keen to where God is taking the church. You just haven't spent enough time asking Him to reveal it to you. And so therefore, your church goes through seasons. And so we map out, we don't map out our sermon series for the entire year. What we do is we've taken our community and we map out events. We map out things that are going on. So why would you preach a message on money in February if everyone's talking about Valentine's? So it's just, it's, it's easy to just say, okay, we're gonna do a relationship series in, in February. Why? Because everybody's already there. It's already on everybody's mind. You ought to know the dips of your church. You ought to know when to ramp it back up. For us, August and mid, middle, middle to mid-September is a dip. And so guess what we're going to do in October? We're going to do a series on money. Come on, somebody, right? And what, what, what's the title of the message series? I'll give like a beast, live like a boss. So it's like like a boss, you know, you can give like a beast. Show me, show me, show me where you're giving like a beast, and I can prove that you're living like a boss. And so that is that, that's gonna ramp everything up. Why? Because December is our miracle offering. We do every year feed a lot of to expand our campuses, but we prepare them in October. So we have all of that planned already. But Things have been happening. We had a sermon series planned for, for September. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. The design team already put everything together. He said, no, I want you to do a series on miracles. I said, no, I want you to do a series on miracles. So even though we have a schedule, we're still flexible to sit there and say, Lord, if this is what you want, absolutely. It doesn't mean that you missed it. Today, this is what God wants. And having your sermons series kind of planned two, three months in advance, it gives you more time to study. It gives you what to study about. It gives your worship team how to put their sets together. It gives your all of your media team and production, whatever you have, start graphics together. When we were at church plant, and listen, everybody was volunteers, we did all our meetings at night. But I had three months in advance. And I was like, guys, this is what we're going to do. Three months in advance. So I know you work a full-time job, but when you get home, you can start with the graphics. Hey, guys, you're going to be speaking in this, this month, uh, next month, in a relationship series. Here are the topics we want to discuss. Hey, why don't you get some ideas? Let's put it back together. Meet next week. We'll have a planning meeting. So it's not that we do this because we have staff today. We're doing everything we're doing today with staff that we did with volunteers. Yeah. And so it is just you working those things out 
and, 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 and understand that everything happens with a season at a time. And this is when you begin to determine in these seasons to not preach the problem. Another, in other words, preach the answers. So what, how, do I, how do I do this? How do I determine not to preach the problem? Number one, preach the solution. Every single message should identify the problem, but should spend more time on the steps of the solution. If you're spending more time on the problem and you're giving little steps to the solution, your people are just going to stay stuck in the problem. And so you got to give them more solution and just identify the problem. Number two, teach the principle. You got to teach the principle. What are the principles? Not what is your interpretation? What is the principle? Listen, God never moves outside of his principles. Give me an, give me an example. A lady walked up to me a few years ago. Pastor Obed, I'm just, I'm just struggling financially. And, and I've been coming to church for two years now. And, and I, I mean, I, it just seems like I just can't get over the hump. And I said, how's your job? And, you know, oh, good. You know, it's good, but, you know, they gave me a raise, but it passed over. I'm just struggling. I just don't understand it. And I said, do you tie? And she was like, well, just to be honest, I don't. And I'm like, okay, so, so let's have a conversation. I said, God works within principle. You don't work outside of principle. I'm not saying that God cannot give you a miracle. But for me to ask God to do something for you, and you're sitting outside of principle, it's just going to make you feel good that your pastor pray for you. Really what it's going to take for you to do is to take your 10% and give it to God. Then come and we'll seal it with prayer. Oftentimes what happens is, is that we're misguiding people by preaching something that is out of principle, thinking that God's going to do it. But God's looking at you and saying, come on, you know I'm not like that. Mm. So in other words, you got to teach the principles. The third thing is don't dwell on the sin issue. Everybody got sin, including you. If all you're telling your church, we just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. This is a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Well, guess what kind of church you're gonna have? A bunch of sinners saved by grace. <laughs> but man, when you have a church and you're out there saying, man, we serve a good God. He's an awesome God. He's a mighty God. Man, he's full of grace, he's full of mercy, he's full of faith. Guess what kind of church you're gonna have? You're gonna have a conquering church. Yeah. Why? It's not that you're soft on sin, but sin has already been defeated. Yeah. And listen, they've worked all their life to be great sinners. Teach them some new principles how to be some great saints. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that, you know, a person came up to me one day and said, I've been here for four years, and I've never heard you preach a message on hell. I said, why should I spend a whole month talking about a place ain't no one planning on going to? Yeah. I want to familiarize yourself with heaven. Come on, somebody, right? Yeah. But it's not that you're being soft on sin. Is that you're being great on grace. Yeah. And what it is, now listen, man, you know what? We're identifying it. People know it. 
The conviction of the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Number four, focus on the promise. How do I preach not the promise? Focus on the promise. Give them these promises that God's promised them, man. Listen, there's all kinds of promises in the Bible. The promises of God are yes and amen. Give them those. Number five, be led by the Spirit, not the emotion. When you have studied all week, you're not being led by emotion. You're being led by spirit. And when emotion overtakes you, people will never call you emotional. Jesus wasn't emotional. He was spirit. Everything he did, he did according to the Father's will. Being led by the spirit. When he became emotional, turned the tables over, wept when people didn't see him the way he was. No one ever called him emotional. Because when you're solid in spirit, there will be times emotions overcome you. You'll feel the pain of the people. You'll feel the message of where people's at. And emotion will take over you. I, I probably cry. Three times out of four in my preaching. And no one has ever said, that's real, that's emotional. You know what they say? He's real. He feels it. He gets me. That emotion isn't coming from the pain. That emotion is coming from the time you spend with Jesus. And you're feeling the compassion. And, and the fact that, you, that they're being moved and they're being enlightened with the illumination of who Christ is. Listen, number six, communicate from the heart, not just the head. Speak from your heart. Let people know. Listen, great preaching isn't determined by sound volume. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home that my mother never raised her voice. But she was the head of the intercessory team. And I'll never forget, I was, I was nine years old, and, and from the time I was literally baby to nine years old, I was I did my homework in the front pews of the church, because after school, mom picked us up for an hour, they had they had intercessory prayer. And, and I remember the first time, I mean, I really, really understood demon possession, and, and they're trying to cast this demon out of there, in the name of Jesus, yeah, and they're stomping their feet and all this and slapping that person like you're gonna hurt that person you know and my mother was like she got four of that and she come walking quiet and she just grabs the person puts that person the person shaking puts on her shoulder and whispers in her ear I saw that woman melt like a girl it was the first time I ever saw something I was so thankful I realized the devil ain't afraid of people's volume. He's afraid of their authority. Nowhere in scripture to say Jesus yelled. Communicate from your heart, not just from your head. Number seven, be visionary and not reactionary. Because when you have your sermons planned, you're not reacting. You're leading. Great leaders know where the church is going. Great preachers know where the sermon's going. They're not moved by the things that come their way. 
And last but not least, I'm going to give you seven C's of communication, and then I'll take some questions in a few minutes. Here's some principles for effective communication. Number one, be complete. In other words, complete communication is informative, effective, and empowers our decision-making. So you want to be complete when it comes to your, your ways and means of communication. Number two, you want to be concise. In other words, concise communication is selective in information, brief in articulation, yet comprehensive in application. You want to be concise. Number three, you want to be considerate. In other words, considerate communication is aware of the mindset of the audience and conscience of their needs and, and receptiveness. Number four, be clear. Clear communication is easily understood by the audience, providing precise steps of action or application. Number five, be concrete. Concrete communication is accurate and precise in information and is well supported from documentation. Number six, be courteous. Courteous communication is respectful of the audience's views of opinions and shares an unbiased message with enthusiasm and politeness. And number seven, be correct. Correct communication is free from grammatical errors or confusing language and uses appropriate words that cannot be mistaken or misunderstood. These are the seven ways of effective communication that you can get to your people in Jesus' name. Come on, did you enjoy that today? Amen. All right. We'll, we'll take some questions, if you have any, and then we'll get you out to dinner in Las Vegas. Or I should say buffet. Any questions? Go ahead, man. Yeah, they want you to use a mic because it's being recorded. Yeah, uh, Amy Stanley has a formula that's pretty strong. Yeah. And uh, I have friends who are close with her and he uses the, it's called a homiletical plot. Yeah. Um, do you encourage like, a young preacher to stick with formula so that he can grow in the limitation? Like, what would you tell young guys? So I have a, I have a bunch of young guys in my church that are going to our school of ministry. Matter of fact, I just talked to you from my Bible college. Okay. I truly believe that when, when you stay with the principle, like Andy Stanley, like Stephen Furtick, and like a lot of other guys, um, you, you'll always stay on a message. And, and, and for us, it's very simple. I, I, I have to tell you our four things. Be articulate, speak to the mind. Be anointed, speak to the spirit. Be authoritative, speak to the stronghold, be authentic, speak to the If your message doesn't contain those four principles in your sermon, and it is outside of who we are. Because we're reaching deep church and unchurched people. So if you unchurched people, you know, he was led to say, by faith, he not understood. Well, if they're not in faith, they're not going to understand. That's why you got to speak to the mind. And so this is why they have those principles. So I would either write your own, figure it out, whatever's good for you. But absolutely. That is why they got probably the top podcast in the nation. Tell you something. It's about point. Pastor, um, what is your opinion when you have a pastor, a preacher, evangelist, right? Take stage, right? But the pastor prepared that sermon, that particular sermon, but all of a sudden he says, you know what? I just hear by the Holy Spirit that this message, this message is changed, and he changed it. So what, what is your opinion about that? Are you talking about like a, a pastor at my church? A, a, a pa and, and, and in general, in general, you, you well, I, that, that's, see, I'm not going to I'm not here to give my opinion. 
I'm here to give information. I will say this about my church, okay? Anybody I put on that stage, I trust. They wouldn't be on that stage. And so if I'm, if I'm not preaching, and they've been in our meetings all month, it's all our pastor's studying together, okay? And he goes up there or she goes up there and says, the Lord spoke to me. First of all, they're not, I'm not going to know it when they get up there. Or at least the lead of that service isn't going to know it when that person gets up there. That person's going to be, that person's going to go to the lead and say, hey, this is what I'm feeling. I really felt like I'm going a different direction. And let me add on, on, on top of that. What's beautiful about giving your church notes and what's beautiful about giving your church an outline is that when you do say that, it's believable. Because they realize, wait a minute, you studied all week. You guys printed up all these notes and all these filling blanks, and now you're telling me you're saying something different? Oh, that must be the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? They have evidence that you studied for something else, and the Holy Spirit went in a different direction. Here, here we go. Uh, how, it's a collaborative process, but how long, in, how many man hours do you personally put into a message as opposed to like a collaborative message? Like, I pass a small church, like, go from addiction, courthouse, to hospital. Now, what, is, what does it look like building that in your life to build the plan on out? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, you know, we came in, I came into my church planning it knowing that you're the visionary leader. So you're setting the direction where your church is going. Use your direction, begins with sermons on Sundays, led throughout the week, okay? I spend most of my time praying and studying, okay? On the other hand, I have guys who are pastors on our staff that if they, if they preach twice a year, they're ecstatic. Okay? Because they are seven years themselves. So when you kind of give somebody, when I was here, just one like you, and I had one of the guys that were, I felt like one day to be preachers, I just sent them out my notes and said, guys, what do you think about this? Give me your thoughts on it. You would be amazed on what these people come back to you with. And it, it makes you look like a hero, you know what I mean? Because when it's all said and done, you're so out of the pocket, and you've been, in some sense, out of sin for a, such a long time. And some of these people, it's been a year, and so they understand what's going on out there. Like, like our student ministry did a, a, a relationship series last year called Bet. It's like B-A-E. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think I'm hip, you know what I'm saying? And I asked my youth back, what does that mean? He's like, oh, that's my bad. I'm like, what is that? Well, I don't understand that. And so, so I've, I've, I've watched like Ed Young and all these guys, they'll bring in people from their church and sit in their collaborative meetings because they want to know what those people are thinking. So I think collaboration is everything. Go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering, because I know you were talking about um, certain seasons of preaching like Valentine's Day, like we were talking about. But let's say every four years, I'm not going to go into politics too much. But I do hear pastors and preachers, they elaborate kind of like on the political side. Now, I know we're supposed to preach about the kingdom and its righteousness, 
But we know that politics nowadays has a tendency of splitting the church. And so where is the pastor standing? Do we elaborate on that? Or we just kind of like just preach righteousness and be with there? That's a pat question, man. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me sum it up very quick. If you don't carry authority, I won't even touch you. I know there are pastors like John Hagee. That brother will talk about politics three quarters of his message. But he's in that realm and God has given him favor in that realm. And he carries a tremendous amount of authority. On the other hand, and I, I, I see guys say things on a platform that was a sentence and half their church walked out. And the problem is, is that they don't have the authority yet to say that. Let me tell you, I, I church planted, this kind of helped me. I church planted, I was 30 years old, I told you, we had no kids. I didn't have kids, I was 35. Anytime I did a parenting series, I had my other pastors preaching me. Because I felt I didn't have the authority to tell people how to raise their kids. And I only have no kids in my own house. I really believe that if, if, if you're going to say something, you should have an authority. And you should already have favor in that area to back you up. That help? Uh, just practically speaking, uh, length of sermon, what's your thoughts on length? Uh, do you match it to the congregation? Do you match it to whatever topic you're preaching on? Um, yeah, I... I, 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 I think between a 30 and 40 minute is good. I, I think anything below 30 is built. Because I mean, if you're going to do 30 minutes of music, you're going to give them 25 minutes of a message. You're emphasizing to your church that worship triumphs the word. So I think 30 to 40 minutes, I think kind of landed around 40, you know, 35. Um, I think your, your church will know its temperament. Um, and I think you know the temperament of your church. You do it. I know our church, literally 30 to 40, and, 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 and they would you all the way. Football season, uh, 35. <laughs> Any more questions? Pastor, <laughs> I have a question for you. Uh, you spoke earlier about uh, the dress code. I'm a PK, yeah. and one time in my life I became Muslim. Yeah. And walked with Asian Islam. So I like to both sides. Yeah. Um, my church, um, they're not so dressed. How do you I won't I won't change my style. I like being both sides. How do you um, <laughs> And you gotta be you, boss, you know what I'm saying? Hey, here it is. I, 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 I came to the desert 13 years ago. It just shocked me when people were walking in with shorts and flip-flops. I couldn't believe it. And then I realized the Tommy Bahama shorts that were like $150, okay? <laughs> the truth is, is, is I had to be me, okay? And I, I mean, I, I wear, you know, I wear skinny jeans, I wear ripped jeans, I wear boots. But there's just certain things I won't wear on the stage. You know, and just because, hey, I feel like I'm setting a precedence for the next generation too. I think what's scary to me today, and I, if I could just be very transparent, is that 
when I see guys on stage with wrinkled shirts and holes, a bunch of them, and holy jeans and showing the thigh hairs coming out of their thighs, <laughs> uh, and it just don't look good. I mean, it just, it, it just like, iron your shirt, at least if it has holes, iron it, you know? Um, I understand the message behind the message. I understand we're trying to reach a culture that's far from God, and so hey, it's kind of look like them. And I'm all for that. You know, earrings, tattoos, I'm all for that. At the end of the day, you've got to give them something beyond where they are. And so, so I don't allow my guys to wear uh, holes in their pants okay, on the stage. They can wear them all throughout the week. In student ministry, they wear them all the time. But when you're on the main stage, you know, I say, you know, the big church stage, wear skinny jeans, wear a nice shirt. They wear, you know, put on a jacket, do something. But I, I'll give you a fun example. We had a speaker in our church. He had seven, he had six shirts on. You know how they wear the six shirts, different layers? Six Nothing wrong with that. I love, I love that. I, I got some. I dress like that sometimes during the week. He's the top real estate agent in our desk. Company did 47 million. The next time I have a breakfast he says, I love that message last night. And I I I I'm gonna listen to that guy's podcast. I love it. He said, but I don't understand. Why would he wear that? <laughs> knocking the guy, but he's coming from a pers- professional perspective. And oh, Pastor, when I don't see a client, I'm going to put something nice on it. I want that client to see trust in me. He's the one that kind of, he says, they stereotype me. In real estate, the first thing they see is what you wear, what you drive. And, 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 and so, if we're not conscious of that, then we're going to have a church of, you know, people that, you know, and again, nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, you've got to ask yourself, what do you want? What do you want? Brother, if you wear a bow tie, rock that thing. Rock it. 